Welcome to the J.P. Morgan Weekender. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joe Lupton. How you doing, Joe? Good, Bruce. How are you doing? Where are you? I'm in a hotel room in London, having spent the week in frigid and snowing Scandinavia. Enjoying so, the weather. <laughs> that's a, it feels balmy in London in relation yeah. to that, but uh, <laughs> we won't we won't go down that road. Let's get to the stuff that's interesting here, and I think. You know, the um, you know, I think if we if we keep the conversation off of the issue of recession risk in the near term, which I don't think is that interesting a conversation, then the issue is how do the balance of growth, inflation and central bank thinking align with where the markets have been in terms of the pricing of Fed, ECB and other central banks? You know, we've been resisting the idea that we'd be on track here for a um, early ease as the market has started to get to. And I think we're getting a little bit of uh, um, some uh, comfort in what we're seeing both in the economic news as well as in the central bank reactions. So let's let's maybe take them in turn. Obviously, we'll start with the economic news. Um, you know, we had uh, the US data this week on the consumer um, and we had also the China data dump. So why don't you just sort of decide how you want to run with that. But, uh, you know, give me your read on the activity data this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if we're just focusing on on the U.S., you'd have to say it's like just more of the same, like Energizer Bunny, right? I mean, it just keeps going, particularly the U.S. consumer, which, um, I mean, we had flagged from our, our car data to be worried a little bit about December. We weren't overall worried because we felt like it was after a strong November and the fundamentals were strong, but hey, December could be a, a bit of a breather. And then you come into this week and you see that retail sales were pretty darn strong, not, not just from expectations, but even in an absolute sense. So the U.S. consumer is is really doing well here. And, and I will say, are they getting over their skis? I mean, that's obviously one potential concern. I, I think maybe a little bit. I, I don't know, but I, I will counter that by saying there is a lot of labor income being generated. And we've been saying that for a year now, like don't lose sight of the labor market. That's the biggest driver of consumer spending. And the confidence of the consumer is coming from the health of their balance sheet. And nothing's really- but Joe, just let me, let me sort of say, I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying, but in some ways, one of the big moving parts in the last uh, uh, few months has been the, the vol headline inflation more so perhaps in Europe than in the US, but the way that's improved purchasing power. And you also see that, for example, I think it as an important factor in the rise in the confidence readings, particularly Michigan today that we've seen. Absolutely. So, so, yeah, I was I was getting to that part of it, right? So I, I mean, I think the fundamentals are kind of are going to tell us where we're going and those continue to be there. But the added boost from the fall and headline inflation uh, and, and equity markets moving up, making a new all-time high today, um, is also boosting the confidence numbers. And so all of that looks very good um, for, for the U.S. Um, and, and yet, you know, the story we've been telling is once you start moving outside the U.S., it gets a bit murkier. Uh, well, let me, let, me, yeah. let, let me stop there a second, because I think, and this will link into global stuff, but I think we should be saying that both the U.S. as well as the global manufacturing data don't look that um uh, good. And that has been one of the, um, you know, I think getting a, a sustained and solid recovery requires you to have a bit more balance between services and industry. 
And well, I think we would have said that, and we were saying that all of last year, and it never happened last year, and yet global GDP well, just kept chugging along because services have been doing pretty well. Uh, I totally yeah, but, agree. Uh, with that but the U.S. manufacturing surveys this yep. week uh, and oh, even no, the IP yes. report. Yep. So that those we're were not manufacturing. Good, no, I think things are pretty grim. Uh, and the the the, 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 the December surveys were ugly. Not ugly. The December surveys were weak. Had us concerned about global industry, and then the news this week on the U.S. ISM was like, per, I shouldn't say ISM, the the regional Fed surveys, New York and Philly. Um, you know, those were pretty ugly, uh, and the, we're looking for the flash PMIs next week in the U.S. to step down on them. Well, let's just say New York was supremely ugly. Philly was just weak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talking the football team, or are we talking the uh, regional Fed survey? <laughs> probably can can apply to both at this point right so um but New York uh, is always weak <laughs> not always we've had our days but uh you know the manufacturing sector is is weak and um hasn't shown really any signs of picking up in the US but then we can make a segue to thinking a bit about China where manufacturing has been strong recently it's one of the factors that gave you a decent fourth quarter gdp report but let's kind of turn a bit of attention to China and kind of what's the what's the yeah, reading you I take from behind, this week's news behind the the scenes that people are kind of reading <laughs> the body language between you and me there's a little bit of attention I keep saying China looks fragile and I'm worried about China and you you seem a little bit more I, I don't want to say uh, you know upbeat on China but a bit more optimistic well I guess what I'm trying to say in. is I I'm I think we have a significant concern about the path China is going on in terms of its medium-term growth path. And I think what government policy is doing uh, is undermining that in an important way. And that combines with a set of things happening with geopolitics, uh, with the damage done by COVID, with uh, um, demographics. All of that makes me worried. I I, I would not want to talk with any degree of optimism about the right. three, five-year path of China. But what I'm suggesting is I think as long as we've got a U.S. consumer demand engine, uh, as long as we've got a tech sector recovering globally, and as long as we have China policy that's, I think, committed to putting a floor on growth, I don't feel like the next, uh, you know, six so or nine I months China's, China's going to be. Yeah, I think on the, the policy support is something that tempers the downside and will always temper the downside in, in China. I think the issue around the, the the tech sector and the and the health of the U.S. consumer that certainly helps somewhat. But I think one of the things that we're seeing this year is that the weakness in China is not spilling over to the rest of the world, precisely because what's happening is a rotation of production and value chains outside of China. And I'm, I'm not saying this is you know happening all at once, but there is a gradual transition. And you hear the anecdotes of ASEAN countries really picking up of, of Mexico kind of benefiting and some of the production chains being built there. And so I, there's a little bit of that. But I think ultimately, the reason I'm a little bit more concerned about China is that domestic demand engine. And when I look at this week's data, yes, you see GDP running about 5%. Uh, yeah, IP held up on the quarter, but it did contract in December. Uh, and I think if you just smooth November, December, those aren't that's not a good average. So IP is not doing great as we're heading into the uh, first quarter. We have all the housing related concerns. But the biggest thing that was news this week in China that continues to be a real challenge 
is what's happening on the pricing front. And, you know, we can say all we want about CPI being heavily driven by pork prices. And that when you look at core CPI, it's not down as much. That's true. But the GDP deflator is contracting and it does not contract very often. They contracted over the entire year. The only times you tend to see that is when China is going through some very big adjustments. And that didn't happen in terms of the real side of things. And of course, it raises the question, are they mucking with the, with the deflators to get better real outcomes? I'll, I'll leave that for a separate conversation. You're saying but that the they're in the defla day, we're in deflation and they're, and they're mucking with the deflators that way to get the real outcomes? Uh, that seems to me a little stretching, but maybe well, you got you're a right. nominal reading. And I know. They, maybe. Oh, right. Well, because I mean, what you're getting is everybody, been, everybody's now worried about deflation, right? So it's a it's a kind of a funny way to kind of create a positive. Well, I think they're ultimately gonna... more worried about posting a real number that's hitting their growth target, right? I mean, is it just magic they hit their growth target every every year? I mean, these are the most amazing <laughs> growth projectors ever. Uh, so, but in the end of the day, Joe, I mean, we I mean, we can go yeah. go through this. I think, you know. What we've tended to do, and I think appropriately so, is not pay too much attention to GDP in a world in which China GDP doesn't link with the rest of the world. If we're thinking about this from a global point of view, I think what we, we do and we should do is focus on the pieces of the Chinese economy that link to the rest of the world. And the IP numbers do, the trade numbers do, the consumer spending numbers do, a little bit, not, not that much. And that's where we live in in terms of the linkages. And I think in that, in that kind of world, um, you know, China's not doing anything extreme, except, and I think this is important in terms of the way that the um, excess capacity and, as you're noting, the right. deflation in, in pricing is, yeah. is, is being exported to the rest of the world. And I think that's an that's important issue. That's one of the things that undercuts our kind of our reflation in the goods sector. Uh, well, I don't think we're forecasting reflation <laughs> to me the way to make the call. Well, reflation means de going deflation. from a minus three to zero. Well, if that's the if that's the call, and I think it it should be stated that way, that I think what's happening in China pricing is doing the same thing. If you look at the run rates on U.S. import prices for China, or look at the run rate on Chinese export prices, which don't always align that well, they're both uh, off of the maximum point of deflation, which hit probably about six months ago. So right. I think you're seeing in the pricing, and I think that is, a, if I a, had to- A little bit, but I, I think the story that, that you would worry about is that actually what's gonna happen, the next leg is gonna be a bit of an inventory overhang from the fourth quarter and really the second half of the year where the lift that we got in global industry that we called for and we got most of, not entirely, was a bit more inventory driven and particularly, I would argue, in China, and that's going to be more disinflation. How do you know that in China? I mean, I don't know where you get any real evidence on what China's uh, inventory picture I, is. I, I don't. It's finger in the wind. I'm just saying it looks, I mean, it looks weird to see the weakness that we have going on there. And yet, uh, um, you know, IP growing as strong as it did through the second half. So that yeah. suggests either the data is just wrong or made up, or there's a lot of inventory being built that's not being consumed. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, we, we, we need to go through this with yeah, numbers, yeah, but yeah. I see Chinese exports doing very well. I see infrastructure spending doing very well. I see retail spending on goods growing, but not growing very rapidly. I mean, that is not, I don't think, 
out of line in a big way with what the industry data is saying. But we can go through this. It's not I'm not convinced there's an inventory story that's in China. I worry more about, uh, as you say, if China demand is weaker, if global goods demand doesn't um, uh, pick up, we've got the U.S. consumer doing better. We don't yet have any clear signs of a European consumer that should be doing better, given the fall in inflation and the still rapid uh, wage income that you're getting there. Um, then I worry. FX, and then you're FX right. is doing a little bit better. You can point to yeah, that. Yeah, there's a thing. I mean, and I think the deflation story in Chinese import prices is is showing up in the data. It's not established in a way that you can say we're out of the woods on that, but it's a bit better. And obviously on the core goods pricing more generally, you've got the impulses that commodity prices are not going down anymore. You've got the impulses that there's shipping costs that are going up. The world is different. One, the I one think, thing we on, didn't mention pricing that, than it was six months ago. That's my my point, and I think that's right. consistent well, the, with the, the one thing rating of deflation. The one thing you can add to your upside on on goods prices that is happening and is real is the the kind of Red Sea disruptions, which yeah, um, the shipping you know, cost the, stuff is moving right, and, right, and, and uh, uh, that uh, doesn't look like it's going away very suggesting quickly. Suggesting that it could add as much as uh, seven tenths to core goods inflation, three tenths to overall global core inflation. So um, those yeah. are not those are wide standard error bands around that. So I wouldn't want to take it to the bank, but certainly the direction is up. Yeah, so let's kind of get away from um, this part of the conversation and go to central banks, which is what we in some way started the the, the conversation with. Um, you know, I think, let me just frame the story and saying, look, there's been progress on inflation. Central bankers think their policy stances are restrictive. Uh, what they're telling us and what makes sense is that at some point here, there's enough progress that they can start taking their feet off the brake somewhat. The question is um, when and how much. Uh, and you know, we've been arguing that probably the market has gotten ahead of itself, and now there's starting to be some signaling correcting. How much do you think we've taken out the a risk of a Fed ECB easing in the March or April meetings? Fed in March and, and the ECB in April. Well, I think in some sense time is is doing some of that, right? The closer we get to 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 March, I. Uh, feels like more that gets pushed out, but more substantively, I, I would say the data um, on, on the U.S. side with the, the, the strength that we're seeing on the consumer. Um, and by the way, next week we do get the advanced release of GDP. Um, you know, that'll be, we're looking for two, well, I don't know what we're looking for. I see the Atlanta Fed's at two, four. We're at two, I think still, but although Dan, I think is talking about upside risk. Uh, to that. So, yeah. you know, you're still- Our, our at, forecast as, as far as I know is still at two, but I, I'm not I, in New York. I don't know what whether they're making any changes today. Yeah. You're so, supposed to know that, Joe. I, I think That's it's- I count on you for it. But I'm telling you that they're telling me there's upside risk. And that remember, that was after that gangbuster five plus percent. I mean, the second half of the year was just supercharged. Um, and I think, you know, the news on inflation, yeah, there's been progress, but- it's not where they need to be. I think that that statement right there, that there's been progress, but it's not where it needs to be, has been the source of the market dislocation from where the Fed's at and where we're at. Because I think the, the market's just kept hearing, we've made a lot of progress on inflation. And you know Powell was forced to accept, acknowledge that when you went from the September 
summary of economic projections to the December meeting. So he's like, there's a lot of progress. And Marcus ran away with that as if this was super dovish and we're going to be uh, cutting in March. They've since been pushing back against that saying, yeah, we are going to be easing in 24. And that's a good step forward. And maybe that's changing our call. But at the same time, we're thinking it's maybe instead of late 24, more like mid 24. And Bostic actually in a kind of almost a bizarre degree of explicit communication basically said this week that he had been in the fourth quarter and now he's in the third quarter of when he thinks cuts are coming. And I think that is about right. I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, the the odds of, of cuts or the likely area of cuts were going to come more in the latter part of the second half. And the data that we're getting is kind of pulling that forward uh, a little bit. That's the U.S. side of things. Uh, there's also could Europe, I just jump in uh, here and I yeah, I would sure. I would um, you know I, I notwithstanding what Bostic said I don't think we're getting any any strong um, pushback on on March even though we're not getting any central bank rhetoric which I think is really supporting the March call I think the Fed has kept it somewhat open but I would point to uh, the leverage that non-inflation readings have on Fed thinking here in a world in which, and you see this very clearly in Waller's speech. Um, Waller spent most of his speech talking about things other than inflation, even though he he obviously was was championing the fall in inflation that we're having. But he was talking about the, uh, the signs that supply side improvement and easing in labor demand as dislocations fade were creating less pressure in labor markets. Uh, he was talking about the fact that policy stances are tight and I think the way the news flow gives us information on those two particular points matters a lot for um, the Fed here, um, even as we obsess over CPI PCE readings. And I think what you're, you're saying about the data, to me, is it throws a little bit of cold water on the degree to which the Fed thinks it has restrictive stance, as does financial market moves themselves. And I think that does matter for uh, the way they're processing information. I think it's too early to say something strong here, but I do think you look at the last payroll report and you look at the U.S. economy of the last few months, and it does feel to me like we're losing some of that really strong supply side performance we had earlier last year. So part of my caution on the Fed moving fast is the idea that they're not going to feel as cocky and confident that we have a materially restrictive stance that the economy continues to do okay here. And I think the most likely outcome for the labor market in the next few months is we don't continue to see a drifting up in the E-rate. It actually stays yeah. pretty stable. I, I, and that I, both I of think, those things are going to matter. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, this is not uh, to be dismissive of what you're saying. I think that is like, so again, this is going to sound negative. It's not. It's so obvious <laughs> from where we were in November, we're just in a very different world, right? That November meeting when you had all of that tightening in policy and we were kind of feeling a little bit worried of this kind of moderation. I think at one point we had 1% growth uh, on GDP. We were expecting a sharp slowing in, in payroll growth. Just none of that has happened. And at the same time, financial conditions have eased. Mortgage rates are down over 100 basis points. Uh, I mean, I said this I, last I, week, and I'll say it again. This is just like a no-brainer that March is just not on their radar screen. And I, I feel I, like they were pushing back against March. I, I mean, I, I agree with you on how much has changed. But I, if you look at Waller's speech, which was given early in the week, 
the way he talked about financial conditions and Fed policy was that it was materially restrictive and it was he, he was not pushing back against financial easing and he was championing the supply side dynamics in the economy. So I don't yeah. I don't I mean I think there's an issue around how they're calibrating it over the incoming news in a in a in a modest way, but I think they still have a large bias towards thinking uh, they can ease because five and a half policy rates are going to weigh on the economy. And if that, you know, that leverage is really important. If, if, for example, we come in and the next three payroll reports are close to zero, who the heck cares what we think about the Fed reaction function? I think they're going to ease and they're going to ease more than the market expects. But if we come in in the next three months and payroll growth is above 200,000 and the year rate is down no, to three, yeah, five. <laughs> but my point is that. Well, I think if it's that, they might be hiking. But that leverage, the leverage is pretty powerful there. And I think uh, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting they're going to be hiking, but if you get a, above 200,000 and the year rate's drifting lower, I think you really throw some cold water on not just the March easing, but also when they might start uh, from the perspective yeah. of, uh, I mean, of I the year as a whole. There's background in that Waller speech, right? A lot of that was a, um, a debate that started over a year ago with the, the kind of summers uh, going back and forth on whether you can get material um, declines in inflation without a rise in the unemployment rate, material falls in job openings without a material rise in the unemployment rate. And a lot of people thought that that is the only way you can do it, including very smart people like Larry Summers, uh, and Waller and Figura from the Fed said, actually, no, I think you can do this if you just have kind of a shift in your beverage curve or nonlinearity in your beverage curve. And and I think what this was was a victory lap. This was saying like, well, I, well, I'm, I'm taking out those two paragraphs or so. That part of it, yeah. I agree, was a. I think there's a lot more in that, and I think he's useful because he does give a thoughtful exposition of how you should think about the Fed. Uh, reaction and he's not i don't think far from the the center but anyway let's let's leave that here um and let's um just before we end just next week uh we do have the pmis the flash pmis for the dm uh we are looking there, for we're expecting the us to be down based on these regional surveys that really fell out of bed um but we are looking for europe uh to be up um think Japan is, uh, I forget Japan, um, but uh, I, the net of it is going to be with the U.S. down and marginal increases in uh, Europe is that the DM uh, flash PMI will probably be down a little bit, which just adds to the, the worrying decline we had in December. And I think it's going to be a kind of a a grim message for the manufacturing sector at the at the turn of the year, both in December and in, into January. That that this is going to be with us for a little bit. And we said this right. I think over the last two weeks we've been saying it's hard to see global industry putting up more than one to two percent here, which is not a great great showing. Yep. Okay. I guess we'll uh, leave it there. Well, yeah. Anything okay. else you I, want to say? Well, I was just wondering. I thought we were going through what else we're getting. I, I guess we already talked about the GDP report, right? GDP, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that's the other big one. Okay, we can okay. <laughs> then let's let's leave it here. Enjoy right. London, uh, Bruce. I'll I'll try my best. Uh, so take care, everybody, and uh, hope we can continue the conversation next week on the weekender.